0: Mutants. Since the discovery of their existence, they have been
1: regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. Across the planet, debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary
0: chain? Or simply a new species of humanity fighting for their share of the world? Either way, it is an historical fact. Sharing the world has never been humanity's defining attribute. SUFFERING STEVE Ditko. Here, what about this one for my nephew? A superb choice. Oh, great. Yeah, Provided he has already read Infinite Crisis and 52 and is familiar with the reestablishment of
1: the DC multiverse.
0: (laughs) Who am I? Cypher?
1: The gayest X-Man? I recently read this novel called Watchmen.
0: I've never read a comic book like this. I used to read Betty comics, but that's it. I've never read, like, real, real comic books. This worked my way. out.
1: Excellent!
0: Hello, hello, hello. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. This week is week two of our Wet Hot Mutant Summer event. We are going to be discussing X-Men comics all throughout the summer. Because before anything else, we are gigantic fucking X-Men geeks. Now, last week you started us off with a book for which you had childhood nostalgia and genuine reverence. This week I've taken us in a bit of a different direction. You may or may not be mad at me for making you reread this. This week we're going to be covering essentially all of the Marvel Unlimited scrolly comics about Iceman. So these are Mighty Marvel Holiday Special, Iceman's New Year's Resolutions Infinity Comic, number one from New Year's Eve 2021. And then the four issue series, Marvel's Voices, Iceman Infinity Comic, number one through four from June 2022. All of these comics are by Luciano Vacchio, um, essentially covering almost everything the art the story the coloration uh the only other credit that we have is to vc's josebino covers the lettering so this is one of those books where one person does the vast majority of it and then just like has
1: a letterer on the side i like that all the scrolly comics we've covered have been x-men characters getting a solo story named after them With a single writer artist. Yeah, yeah. This is our second
0: X-Men scrolly after uh, Karma and Love a couple of months ago, which... Which we liked. Hot take, I think that was better than
1: what we're going to be discussing today. I think that's basically the peak of all of the scrolly comics, at least out of the ones I've read. I've not been reading anything other than the X-Men, Voices, and Love.
0: I haven't read a lot of them either, but I agree from what I've read. As listener, I'm sure you can tell by the way we're already talking about these. We don't love these comics that we're talking about today. Usually, this is both a comic analysis and appreciation podcast. This week, it's pretty much just an analysis podcast. There's not going to be a lot of appreciation, but... Iceman's one of my favorite X-Men. Last year, we spent part of the X-Men event covering some Iceman stories, and I figured I would keep that going this year. And because these are the most recent Iceman solo material that's come out, I figured they felt the most relevant to go ahead and cover. And though we don't like them, we will definitely have a lot to say. And I guess from a meta level... I'll go ahead and give the best thing I can say about these is essentially to quote Colin Space Twinks from Twitter, not about this comic specifically, but just a general ethos that applies here, which is when he said, queer writers should get to do bad slash mediocre books as much as straight ones. And that's what this is. This is a shining example of them finally paying a gay person to make some of the bad comics. So just, there's your warning. These aren't good. Spoiler warning. We're going to get all up into what happens and why it's not good. I'm not necessarily going to go completely in chronological order so much as just try and skip around and hit on a bunch of different points from the book. But... One thing that we've texted about a lot between ourselves. Would you like to go ahead and do the obligatory 10-minute rant about
1: the costume design? Okay, so as part of the Iceman solo, so after the, like, New Year's special thing, um, this was one of the big launches. So, like, the big launch for the Scrollies was the Hickman-Declan Shalvey-Wolverine story in the X-Men Unlimited thing. And I think Marvel Voices was, like, maybe the third or fourth of these to launch. Like, I'm pretty sure it was, like, X-Men, either Avengers or Spider-Man, or possibly both, and then this. And it launched by debuting one of the most popular X-Men, Iceman, in a new look. And I hate it. It's a terrible look.
0: It's, It's very bad.
1: In a time when basically every X-Man is either returning to, like, the classic look for them, or getting a brand new look that is instantly iconic and memorable, Iceman gets one of his worst looks. In my opinion, worst. I know you think there's a couple others that are worst, but this is my least favorite.
0: It's definitely in the conversation, yeah. I guess before we fully trounce it... For listeners, I'll go ahead and just sort of try and describe it. It's one of those outfits or depictions of Iceman where, like, the skin color of the ice form, so not, like, skin, but, like, you know, like, bare body, the, like, ice and the cloth portions of it are basically all, like, the same exact shade of white. Like, there's no clear differentiation for most of it between what's definitely skin and what's definitely cloth well the when main... he's
1: not iced up the cloth looks different it yeah. changes
0: to match him yeah and it's like the main exception of like oh that's clearly not clothes it's like it has like some little booties like Iceman usually has but it's primarily just like all the same sort of white tone That gets shaded with some like gray, silver gradation throughout. But it's essentially a bunch of white with some sort of like cyan blue accenting of mostly a bunch of like sort of logo type stuff of like you get sort of like a little blue, sort of traditional X belt buckle position circle. You get some like blue bands around the shoulders to sort of give the impression that it's like, oh, a, like torso. They look like and... backpack straps. Yeah. To like give the impression of like, oh, the cloth is probably mostly the torso and the pants with like bare arms out. Although again, well, it's, it's all not. The same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because like, again, it's all <laughs> the same color. There's a little emblem on his chest that's sort of mixing the logo design of the like, Krakoa era X-Men font that like all the logos use of like that sort of X mixed with an I, in a way where like the design is meant to look like a snowflake, but that isn't really. Yeah, <laughs> like my mind doesn't look at it and think snowflake at all and then there's just a bunch of other like blue lines
1: throughout it it feels like he did an all white design with like just the chest emblem and then got nervous that it was too much of one thing but rather than like do a new design just drew a bunch of blue lines on there and they all are designed to look like pieces of the letter forms from the X display font that Tom Bowler came up with for all of the X Men logos that were coming out at this time. So it's really weird. He's also got these cuffs. So at the end of his arms, like where, like on his wrists, he just has these two bands. And then they, they just sort of stick out. And then they have like a little blue line inside them, but there's like a white band with a blue line on it. And then he's got the same at the top of his boots. And for me, the ugliest detail of the design is that he has this, like, booty detail where he's got the boot with the band above it. And then above that are two X-Men logos plastered around his upper shin as though he's wearing a boot that has an X-Men logo-like top, but it doesn't. That's a part of his jumpsuit that is tucked into his boots. It's so busy... Like, it's a really busy design, but there's also nothing going on with it. And most of the details are, like, small enough that when he is not fully in panel, like, filling up the whole frame, you can't see half of it. Like, he has little X-Men logos on either side of his boots. And it's just kind of like, why? Because this isn't the artist's style. Kyo's style is not, like, very... It's very cartoony. It definitely isn't, like, if this was a, for an example, a quietly design, I could see quietly doing the little Xs on the side of the boots, because that's a very, like, realistic fabric-y detail that you would maybe have if Charles Xavier designed a boot, he would put an X on it somewhere. But that's just, it doesn't fit with the art style. It's so strange.
0: I think you really hit it before... When you were like, it's so busy, but there's nothing going on. Because it really manages that, like, contradiction of things that sound like they shouldn't be able to happen at the same time, but they really are. Like, for me, the ideal Iceman design is one where he's basically mostly just looks really naked and might have, like, one or two sort of accessorizing little moments to sort of break it up. Like, say, Ultimate Iceman, the design's perfect, it's basically just, here's an icy dude, Barbie doll nudity, and he has a bandana for a little pop of color. You know, and like, the classic And it's a black
1: bandana, it's like the high contrast.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, sort of classic images of Iceman, and say- like Marvel versus Capcom or like Spider-Man and his amazing friends, it'll be like largely monochrome sort of white, light blue ice color broken up maybe by like a brief and some booties, you know? And like, there's examples of things similar to that that I've liked of like uh late 2010s, very much just icy iceman man with some like, midnight blue like swim trunks you know like simplicity like that I think works because it just iconically is what the character looks like it reads immediately as Iceman and it gives you like all the coolness of the powers especially like when you give them some nice spikes which I know people have different feelings on the spikes but just sort of like sells Iceman without needing to add a bunch of extra shit. And the look in these comics just sort of feels like adding a bunch of extra stuff because, you know, I don't know if they were, I don't know if the artist was like told, like, hey, come up with a new design or if he was like, I would like to, you know, take a stab at it, you know, like I have the chance, why not? You know, I can get that. But all in all, there's just too much going on It looks too much like cloth to me. Like like I said, my preference, I just think it's cooler when it's just like, that's a naked dude made of ice versus like, here's his weird jumpsuit where I can't tell where the cloth versus the ice skin begins. And also there's just all these fucking lines all over it that you talked about of just like, here's little bits of... Light blue to add something going on, and I just don't care for it.
1: Oh, well, I'm looking at it now, um, because this is the Iceman costume that we are getting through at the very least to the upcoming Iceman solo. Um, I'm looking at it as drawn by Russell Dodderman right now, and it is, I think, the first time I've not enjoyed Russell Dodderman's art. I don't think because there's like any just, saving
0: this design.
1: I, yeah, I'm like. I know I'm not a fan of this artist's style. Maybe I'll check it out somewhere else. This does confirm that he's wearing knee pads. Looking at the Dottoman art, that's knee pads. That's not just how this guy draws knees.
0: I fully just read it as his knees.
1: It's knee pads. The Dottoman, it's very clearly pe- knee pads. And I'm just like, okay. I I wish that... I think I like the shape of the X-topped boot more than the little booty. I wish that this had like the Jean Grey um, McKelvey design for Team Jean, where she had the boots that were kind of quietly inspired, where they had the wraparound X's like the top of the boot, and they came out a bit. If you had like that, and then you got rid of most of the rest of this, design-wise, I think I'd wind up liking it a lot more. I think he needs something either at the top or in the middle that is not white. Yeah. <laughs> and not a light blue because it is just like yeah especially since there's like this is meant to be his like superhero outfit in a way that like Iceman is frequently a member of the superhero team X-Men but X-Men like that doesn't mean that he necessarily has this is him like as a solo superhero who's the main superhero of a city he's the San Francisco superhero supposedly it does yeah. seem to change every ten minutes. I think he's living in Antarctica in this new series that's coming up.
0: Oh, huh. yeah. That's from what I've read, but yeah, for for the sake of these comics that we're talking about today, he has moved back to uh, California. At one point, calls himself the Chill Champion of L.A. We've gone on about the costume a while. I don't know that All I right, have L.A., a...
1: not San Francisco.
0: Yeah. I don't know that I have much more to say about the costume, but I will just briefly note that they do the thing where they try to incorporate his hair into the icy form as opposed to just the bald look, and I think that's really tricky, and I don't love that aspect of it either. The other main thing right off the bat that sticks out art-wise, not just in costume or in action scenes, the other immediate like take a first glance at these comics and it just sticks out is that in this artist style everyone looks so young there's a lot of same face syndrome and it's specifically that for the vast majority of characters they could be between the ages of say 16 and 25, but nothing older than 25. They look so
1: young. Bobby is scruffy, and yet somehow still looks like a teenager.
0: Yeah, it's giving first beard.
1: I mean, I think it is his first beard, but like... (laughs) He's supposed to be... He's supposed to be... Well, according to Marvel, he's supposed to be 25. But let's be real, he's 33. At this point.
0: Yeah, like, sliding time scale, yada yada yada. But it's simply an insult to our intelligence to expect anyone to believe that the original X-Men aren't in their
1: 30s. You know? Um I think officially Scott is 29. Because no one can be 30. Because no one can be 30. Because well, he's the same age as Spider-Man, and Spider-Man can't be 30. And I'm like, no, look. Let's be real, they're both thirty-eight. Literally. Honestly, Scott's forty. Scott's aged more than Peter has somehow. But like oh, the, yeah. the, the the new mutants are all 25. I'm like, they're not the same age as Bobby.
0: Exactly. That's part of the thing too, because it's like well. The new Bobby Avengers are all twenty-five. Yeah, like if if Bobby is twenty-five, young 25 how young is fucking Kitty Pride? And then, how young are like Wiccan and Hulkling?
1: Wiccan and Hulkling are 25 now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Everyone just just sort of. All the younger ones age up, but the older ones never age at the same time.
1: Bobby aged down for this series. Like, listen, sliding time scale. There's a degree to which, yes, all the ages are made up, but like, Bobby aged down for this series.
0: He absolutely aged down for this. And. I suppose this is a stylistic preference on my part, you know? It's not necessarily like a, oh, this is a matter of bad skill, but it is simply my preference stylistic-wise. I'm not into this sort of art style where everyone looks super young. It just simply does nothing for me aesthetically. And, you know, there's the issue that we've been going into of, like, am I really supposed to believe the characters are this young? Like I said before, there's a disappointing lack of variety in how characters look in terms of, like, faces, body the facial types. facial structure
1: on everyone is the same.
0: Yeah. And it's like, there are some occasional exceptions of, like, here's a character who's a little bigger You know, things like that. But the vast majority of the characters have, like you said, really similar facial structures. Most of them have pretty similar body types. The general, like, expressions throughout all feel very samey. You know, like, an expression that North Star makes at one point... It's going to be very similar to just, like, a face Bobby will make later. There's not really a lot of really differentiating notes in how characters are depicted, you know? I feel like there's not really a lot of texture going on here in general, either. Like, occasional exceptions, like Christian Frost, I think, looks like he has, like, a little bit of fluffier hair than most of the other characters do. But by and large, everyone just sort of has very similar, like, little perfect skinny young man bodies. For Iceman, even Iced Up, I'm not really getting a sense of, like, the sheen or the roughness or the spikiness or anything of
1: the ice. Does that I make don't sense? I think it looks like ice. Yeah. And I think it's because the new costume design means that the blue lines have to be blue. Like, I think it's in the colors that it doesn't look like ice. I think he needs to be blue, like, a tiny bit to get that icy look, but he can't because the costume design with the blue lines and then being a light blue means that you can't color him blue at all. He has to become completely monochrome.
0: Yeah, like, all of his shading is just, like,
1: gray against, like, the default white, And then you look at his ice slide, and his ice slide is an icy blue color, and I'm like, that's the color he should be, but you can't do that, because then you lose the blue lines, the random blue lines on the outfit.
0: It just, it's just all these problems sort of compounding each other. Like, we have a bad costume design, and the coloration choices of the costume design affect the coloring, which affects the sense of texture, which means that he doesn't look like he's made of ice.
1: Yeah, like, there is... Some of it, I think, is just the artist style impeding, like, the iciness that we're looking for, because I tend to like the two extremes. I really like art when it's very cartoony or when it's very realistic and detailed, and then in the middle, there's, like, some artists that really work for me and some artists where I'm like, eh? This is in that middle area like leaning more cartoony and so like there's not enough texture but it's also not like wacky enough with the facial expressions or abstract enough with the way it's portraying things to get me interested on that front
0: yeah like it's very cartoony in a way that i don't care for but it's not like cartoony in a way that's like so uniquely different or extreme that it really stands out stylistically you know like, I feel like if the anatomy was like way less realistic or if there were just really specific penchants that the artist had for like emphasizing could be anything, you know, like if there was just like a really unique way that they rendered hair or eyes or something, but as is, it's just sort of everyone looks generically young but there's not really anything special and like signature stamp about the style that sort of helps make me excited.
1: Well, the head shape, you can always tell because of the head shape.
0: That's true. Yeah. I guess I should say there's no signature, like artistic style that stands out in a positive way. There are very specific, like, Oh, that's him. That's that head but it's not a good thing.
1: Yeah. He he he's got the two body types that he draws, but we don't see the other one much in this because the only one where it's a big guy is the um the the guy with all the chest hair that he like kisses near the beginning of the comic which frankly is way more love uh way more of an interesting love interest than the one that we wind up getting. Oh yeah. I would much prefer a random civilian he's grabbed who is like the kind of civilian who's like oh you're hot let me kiss you real quick superhero than what we wind up with.
0: I guess real quick before we fully transition out of the visuals I will note in the New Year's special that came first he's not wearing like the costume design that we get later for the main series. And the thing about the New Year special is that they actually, like you said, are able to use blue for shading. So he looks a little more icy in a way that's an improvement. You're the, right.
1: The, he looks so much more icy.
0: <laughs> and like, if I he don't just love, like this. It would be fine. Yeah. Like, I don't love it. It's basically like looks very nude chest. And then there's still like an X belt buckle and booties, you know. It's he like nothing have like a
1: belt. I don't like the belt buckle if there isn't a belt.
0: Yeah, it just creates a very strange feel in the crotch area. Um... It's not as
1: bad as the belly button X, but it approaches that. Remember when everyone was it X Men Red where everyone had a belly button X for some insane reason, God. and then Storm got stuck with it for years.
0: Yeah, this like first issue look it's like I don't love it because like details like that sort of hanging buckle do look kind of weird in terms of the ice rendering it is a little bit better than later because they actually use the blue like you were talking about one last note on the art I'll go ahead and say or I guess this is also part question what did you think of the artistic rendering and, like, use of his powers. For me, personally, I never found it really exciting. I found it all kind of boring and didn't really feel like he got a chance to use his powers in a super cool way visually.
1: It was fine. There's a lot of just, like, using ice to make platforms or a slide. And then just sort of, like, for some reason firing, I guess, cold beat there's a lot of white light which just feels like an odd beat to me i'm like why why is this making light he's making it colder
0: yeah it's like it's just
1: strange
0: yeah i'm like i guess i assume it's meant to be like rendering just sort of like the way of like sunlight like reflecting off the ice although i agree i don't think the execution really works There's a point where he does the sort of Spider-Man and his amazing friends trick of doing the like, I'm going to pour ice on myself, down starting at my feet, and then sort of raise it up through the rest of my body so that I'm like encasing myself in a block of ice that I didn't break out of. And while the idea of that reference is cute, I didn't think that really looked good either. It didn't really successfully use the vertical orientation of the art, which I think we've said at this point like these are scrollies. These are like you scroll down on your phone. The action all has to sort of be rendered in a vertical way to be successful. And we talked a bit about this off air, but by and large, I don't think it really takes advantage of the format, especially well. You know, like there are some exceptions.
1: Most of the comics haven't really taken advantage. There's a few that really stand out that really use the format very well. But yeah, certainly the main Ice Man series. I do think that there's a lot more done with it in the New Year's special one. The ball drop sequence, I think, does use it pretty well, and is at least keeping in mind the scrolling format. But a lot of the rest of these, it is just... And now you scroll down to the next panel.
0: Yeah, it's all very... That feeling of, like... The way that you would read, like, a comic book in a PDF on your phone. Of, like, okay, here's one page. Now I'm moving on to the next.
1: That zoomed-in panel mode. But you have to scroll instead of clicking to the side. You
0: mentioned them briefly earlier... So I'll go ahead and rope us back to the uh topic of love interests here. We basically have Romeo the Inhuman, uh Christian Frost, Emma Frost's brother. Those are the only two like sizable uh screen time characters here with any sort of romantic bent. There is also like you mentioned, the civilian who he saves in the middle of a crisis and then he gets to have, like, the sort of let-me-thank-you-of-a-kiss type thing. Yeah, that was a fun beat. It was a cute idea, yeah. Like, as far as parts of this comic go, I think the little, like, civilian kiss thing was fun. It was also just sort of reinforcing the, like, here I am being more appreciated by the public sort of thing. And here I get to have a good day and not be miserable and feared and hated and yada yada. But with that said, shall we dive into the Romeo of it all?
1: The Romeo of it all. So, oh God. um, Longtime listeners may remember last year that when we were covering the Iceman comic, that one was set at a time when there were two Icemen. There was the older present-day Iceman, who the comic was actually about, but his teen counterpart was also like, there. And he and the teen counterpart, who was time-traveling, had both come out at the same time, and the teen counterpart was dating another teen called Romeo, who was an Inhuman. It's funny because the X-Men and the Inhumans were fighting at the time. So, you know, they're Romeo and Juliet. So this one-note joke name of a character who, like, what little I've read of this period, I'm just like, okay, so he's just like the guy that Teen Bobby is dating.
0: There's no depth at all, yeah. Just plot
1: device romantic interest. And, like, the fact that he's an Inhuman, which, you know, is disgusting, uh, the Inhumans are nasty. Like, I enjoy reading about them in some comics, uh, but, like, they're gross. Their whole society is weird and messed up.
0: I mean, literally everything about them is built in eugenics, so...
1: the the eugenics incest lot. They've, there's been one city of them for thousands of years. They are all super inbred. Yeah. Which is probably why they had to start doing eugenics, even though that doesn't actually work.
0: Yeah. The way that the Infinity comic issues that we're reading today introduce all this context is also very clunky. I'll go ahead and quote directly. There's a scene when Bobby is um, at the bar hanging out with Northstar and Richter both famous for being the other big gay male X-Men characters. And so Richter asks, so speaking of love, whatever happened to your first? And then Bobby gives this reply that I'm just going to read word for word. This is the dialogue as written coming out of this character's mouth in this comic. Romeo, the inhuman empath I fell for, When I was a time-displaced teen who ghosted me and broke my heart before I went back in time and forgot it all, but now I remember, no idea. He must still be around being a kid in this era. If that is not the most clunky-ass fucking, there is no good way for us to explain this continuity to the reader. So we're just gonna shove it in this one paragraph and just hope you keep scrolling. Fucking exposition to which I say, if the continuity is that fucked, and sometimes it is, the question becomes, do you still feel the need to include it and to spell it all out? What is the benefit of doing so? And for me personally, I'm just like, why the fuck would you bring this character back? He contributes nothing, you're not gaining anything. You're just reminding the reader of how fucking ridiculously convoluted some of this shit can get, and there's no payoff. Because Romeo is not interesting. He shows back up, he time-traveled too, he's an adult now too, and he's still boring, does not have a personality. His powers are basically just being an empath and quote-unquote emotional regulation
1: I forgot that he was, like, an emotional regulator. I'm like, oh, great, you have the skeevy powers. Great.
0: Exactly. <laughs> he has the fucking Star Fox power set. And... We need rather... more of
1: those people.
0: Yeah. And, like, rather than using it to be explicitly skeevy here, basically all he does is act as Bobby's cheerleader and... Once every 20 panels or so, just looks at Bobby and says, you are enough. You are loved. Let me use my powers so that you know I'm telling the truth when I say you are loved.
1: The, the idea of thinking that Romeo is an interesting enough character to bring back in, like, when you have to stop and you do have to have this whole explanation. Like, this, I understand why they didn't just do an editor's note why they had to sit down and actually explain this, because it is so overcomplicated. The Teen X-Men stuff, I generally like, like what I've read of the Teen X-Men in, like, the the 05, but the idea is so complicated, especially them going back, but then remembering in the present, that it is one of the things in X-Men continuity where I'm like, now that they're not around anymore, we just don't need to bring it up.
0: Yeah, which... It's Like, like, just
1: don't bring it up. It's not needed.
0: Yeah, and, like, when I think about it, I'm just like, oh, the choice for Bobby to have, like, young Bobby's memories now feels pretty weird to me, but I'm like, oh, I guess you could theoretically do something interesting with just the implications of all this stuff and just, like... Bobby's relationship to himself, and in the Cena Grace written period, I thought that they did some interesting stuff with just, like, you know, older Bobby and how he's affected by seeing younger Bobby, and sort of being dragged out of the closet by a different version of him coming out, you know, and just, like, that is a premise that would fuck with someone's head extremely, and... You know, there's stuff you could get into there. But this comic doesn't do any of that. It really doesn't.
1: It maybe serves as an explanation as to why he's been a bit more well-adjusted since the Krakoa era. I guess, because he remembers having that happy-ish teenage coming out.
0: I suppose that's a fair point, yeah. Like, maybe it's a Because they've made him a lot
1: more... Yeah. They've made him a lot more comfortable being an out-gay man. In the Krakoa era, which out of universe makes sense because everyone's gotten used to Iceman being gay.
0: Yeah, it is one of those tricky things of like sort of adjusting the character, you know, because you have like, oh, this character in text has been a closeted gay man is coming out on a meta level, has been intended to be gay for a long time, but wasn't allowed to be And now is allowed to be out. And you sort of get the like transition period of like, how are we going to write this character sort of changing and how he talks and acts, you know, and I feel like outside of Cena Grace, everyone just sort of flipped a switch and didn't really worry about making it like a transition, you know, because... Outside of Grace, I guess it's what you said of, like, I suppose the, like, young Bobby thing just sort of hand waves it as, oh, he's gone through it already. But when I forget about that and I'm just reading normal Bobby Drake in this period and the change, it's like, oh, one second he was going through all of the emotional turmoil in the scene Grace book. And now he's in Marauders, being written by a straight man, joking about bottoming and guest judging on Drag Race. How did we get
1: here? His drag-inspired outfit for the first Cocoa Gala, I was like, I don't see Bobby having that level of confidence. But okay. Like, it's, there's a lot of that, where I'm just like, I don't think he's this confident about it. But then, I, yeah, the, the teen Bobby thing, I guess, is the way that you can kind of justify that. So that you can have him not be angsty.
0: This sort of gets into like the creator stuff too. Element two of. Cena Grace. Gay man. Writing Iceman. And then um, the comics we're discussing today. The Infinity Comics. Also by a gay man. Uh, gay creators. And even though I loathe. A lot of what's happening in these scrollies. There's still just a bit of a different feeling. Of going. Oh, even if some of it's cringe worthy at least you're gay. Whereas when I was reading Marauders, the first Krakoa era Marauders, written by whichever straight dude that was, Dugan. It was maybe? Jerry Duggan. Yeah. And a book
1: that I like except for the Iceman stuff.
0: Of just like going from the Cena Grace Iceman to him not having a book anymore. And him talking to Kitty Pride about finding top men. I was not a fan of that. Yeah. Did you have anything else on Romeo? Or should we shift into Christian Frost?
1: Uh, Just that it's... He looks the same age in the flashback drawing as he does now. Except now he's got lines on his face to be a beard. Like, he hasn't aged other than growing facial hair. Because of the artist's style. And... That just remains weird.
0: Yeah, it feels like facial hair is sort of the only way that Vakio is able to try and add a hint of aging, because the facial structures always remain the same throughout. It's like, um, let me draw some stubble. They've they've aged a year. They've aged maybe six months because they have stubble
1: now. It's also part of a very like. This is very strange to me because this is absolutely part of a pattern where a lot of gay characters in comics are dating the person that they, like, came out to start dating, essentially. Like, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, currently dating in the books. Wiccan and Hulkling are married. Northstar Star came out but wasn't dating anyone until the first guy he dated, Kyle, who we married. Like, there's a lot of them. Yeah. And we have found Bobby's first guy he dated, a character who should be, like, 17, and first not someone he's able to date anymore. This is the one guy. And we have aged him up specifically so Bobby can date the guy that he first dated.
0: And he's not even interesting. He's not even interesting.
1: Yeah. Speed and Prodigy, although Prodigy came out to kiss uh, Hulkling. So it doesn't count for Prodigy, but it does count for Speed.
0: Counts for one of them, yeah.
1: Just due to when, well, Karma is still currently dating her first girlfriend, but admittedly that started like two years ago. So I'm okay with it for now. It's
0: very like, oh, no one was allowed to be gay for so long. And then, when they slowly started characters being allowed to come out, there were still so few of them that what relationships were created, people got attached to because there was no other alternative. And now no one wants to see those relationships get broken up because they're attached to them, specifically Richter and Shatterstar and Wiccan and Hulkling, and like...
1: No one wants to write the gay divorce issue.
0: I would like to. I would Marvel, to call see it happen. Me. I'm not what? writing it. <laughs> yeah. I don't um... need that in my life. But, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. It. Like you said, I'll no one it. wants...
1: I'll read it and I'll cheer along, but I'm not writing that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your point is true. Yeah, like, everyone would be nervous as fuck to write the gay divorce issue,
1: which... Especially Northstar and Kyle, which is the one that most needs to happen.
0: Yeah, and it just sort of results in, how should I say? I don't think that it's necessarily, like, a bad thing for every single case. I think it's more annoying that it applies to all of these couples, you know? There's so many
1: of them. A lot of those pairings are pairings that I really like. It's yeah. just the pattern. And this is the weirdest example of it that I have ever seen. Because with Iceman, it's like
0: no one was attached to Romeo. No one. Not a damn soul in the entire
1: world. One person was.
0: One person was. And he's
1: writing and drawing this comic. Yeah.
0: And like bringing the character back inherently requires so much explanation. Of periods of X-Men history that virtually no one liked, critically panned, inhuman-era shit. Yeah. All to bring back a character no one likes, when we could simply, A, leave the character open, leave the options open, which to a degree they have, because the relationship at least doesn't get super serious, they don't marry them off immediately, so it could be worse, but could
1: not appear in the next Iceman Solo, like, at all. And not only would I be very happy about it, I'd also believe it in Universe, which is Oh, nice. yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm also just, like, if we were going to bring back a love interest, I would have rather it been Judah or Christian, which Judah just gets a mention here. And then Christian Frost is a character in this series. And I don't really get, like invested most often speaking in fiction in terms of like i really want this character to be in this specific relationship and i want it to stay that way you know i think in most cases i'm fairly flexible with regards to permanence or whatever the fuck but of the options presented here i just like christian a lot better I think that some of their moments in this book are among the cutest in the book because essentially Christian comes back in after Bobby's dad dies, which is a whole other can of worms that we'll get to in a few minutes. i oh, see, that's the next thing. Yeah, I can't believe we've gone this long without even getting to that. But yeah, he's upset dealing with the death, the funeral all of the uncomfortable family interactions. And he sort of calls up Christian as just like a comfortable presence that he can sort of relax with for a moment. And we get the sort of like morning after scene after they have sex where Bobby wakes up. He's going down the stairs to find Christian already awake. And we get the dialogue Cool new costume. This is just my underwear. Ah, with you, one can never know. And that's cute. You know, just a little joke about Iceman's outfits just being fucking underwear. You know, that is
1: exactly what Emma Frostbuffer would say.
0: Yeah. And they just have this like cute little exchange, talking with each other, just sort of clinging to each other for comfort in the morning And Christian Frost just sort of... I don't know, there's just like a nice dynamic between the two of them. Of just like, in this specific moment, Christian seems to have his shit more together in a way that Bobby doesn't. But it's not like an arrogant sort of difference thing. Like, Christian has also gone through a shitload. And here they are just being friends and being cute. And, yeah, this is possibly my favorite scene in the entire comic so i'll give him credit for that i guess
1: it is mine and like the christian thing starts in marauders and like in terms of them actually dating and that's definitely i think one of the better beats of bobby and marauders and it continues to be a better like Krakoa era bobby beat here like i think the pairing works they both had these terrible fathers who have done horrible things to them and even though he had a lot more, like, I'm trying to remember everything. Christian's Christian had it way worse than Bobby in that he got sent to conversion therapy, which, like, Bobby was just, like, Christian's trauma manifested in we had a whole issue of an Iceman series about, like, saving him from his powers being overloaded because of it. And he's clearly, like, worked through that, and he's able to help Bobby here. Like, I think that's a really good, like, choice to have Christian here for this and not have Romeo do this bit. Yeah. Because this plays of the character he has actual history with that makes sense in this moment, and they can both relate over having similar traumas.
0: Yeah, like, in the post-coming-out era of Iceman... I feel like as a supporting character or just like character who he has like frequent interactions with of like his friends or love interests I think I like his stuff of Christian the best as compared to say like with Romeo or with the way that for some reason Kitty Pride is now his best friend that he's ever had which is still just a little weird to me. That's the movie's I suppose you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah.
1: Um, If the like, it's because of X Men Three, because that's why they dated in the comics and the Jason Aaron stuff, and then she was like, I think his most recent like female love interest when they outed him.
0: Yeah, I think you're right.
1: Unless I'm really mistaken, unless there's someone else in the middle, but like that, that's that's what it is. And she's also the only one who's an X Men who people care about. Yeah. Because. No one's begging for Opal Tanaka to come back.
0: One day, maybe we'll read Ice Man Volume Two, and we'll get you all the Opal Tanaka you could ever want.
1: <laughs> you know, I think there's potential in all of those. Like the the there's like three of them from the Louise Simonson uh, X Factor Rod, the three the three different girlfriends who all basically just like. Get off throughout the 90s by just like getting written out pretty callously. Just like, yeah. oh no, you're, you're going now. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte Jones is the other one because she was Angels and she's cool, but she gets written out so you can date. And then there's the librarian who's turned like goth and Beast isn't interested in her anymore. <laughs> He's like, oh no, uh, I'm a giant furry blue man, but um that much eye makeup is just too much for me.
0: Beast specifically can't stand goth girls.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, I'm trying to... Like, it was early X-Factor, but, like, Vera shows up. Is it Vera Cantor, I want to say, is her name? I think she's she's one who's from the 60s.
0: I don't remember the names, but I'll It's totally
1: irrelevant, but I think that those characters should come back, because I think it would be funny. I think that all of them... I mean you could have another Cyber Samurai story with Opal Tanaka. Sorry, the Cyberai, it's it's one word.
0: Yeah. With the age stuff of the art and the Romeo of it all and everything we've talked about, like the romance in general, I think one of the like consistent themes across all the parts of this comic that I don't like is that so much of it feels like reversion or like taking the character back in some way. Aesthetically, there's the whole he looks so young in these issues thing, which beyond just the continuity of it all is particularly annoying to me because one of the cool things about Bobby coming out was that he was a Marvel character who got to come out as an adult, because so many of them are teenagers, and Bobby, being a grown man, actually, like, sticks out in opposition to, like, the Wiccan and Hulkling of it all. You know, it's sort of like a unique little niche he can occupy, except here he looks 16. And well, then we and get... he
1: came out as a teenager.
0: Yeah. Because of the time travel. Yeah, but that was, like... A whole like plot point type of thing of like we still got to like deal with the ramifications on like the adult self, you know, as opposed to just being like a straightforward like teen gay story. And like we get that we get the regression back to Romeo being the lover for some reason, but worse than both of those things for me the absolute worst character regression thing here in this book, in my opinion, is the way in which it seems like the story has said, fuck everything Cena Grace did with Bobby's relationship with his family, which those issues I thought were very nuanced and touching and poignant and really conveyed just like a painful but complicated relationship with one's family, where yes, they were awful in a lot of ways, but they still loved each other. And there was sort of like a pained compassion there, where Bobby wasn't going to simply like write them off. Whereas in these Infinity comics, one of the main plot beats is just that his dad dies suddenly. I can't remember if they specify, like, a sudden heart attack or not. They might have. And a lot of the remainder of these issues is just about Bobby's anger at his dad. And at one point, he literally fights, like, a fucking frost giant that is magically enchanted or whatever the fuck to, like, have his dad's face... And he's very literally fighting the face of his dad, telling him what a disappointment he was, and yada yada. And obviously Bobby's parents being shitty has been a long-lasting plot point. So it's not that the series doing these sorts of things is an absolute no-no, but for me personally, it just feels really lazily done and ineffective and like... Instead of following up on the really nuanced stuff that Cena Grace was doing, it feels like we've gone back to step one, and virtually all of the family discussion is just, I was never good enough for my dad. I hated him. It was so bad. It just is so one note in a way that almost feels insulting to the story that was done before to me. I don't know. What do you think of the dad
1: storyline i my biggest issue with it is one of the things as we said that makes ice man stand out as a gay character is that he came out as an adult like in these books one of the other things is he doesn't have a supportive family most of the other gay characters the family is like dead or they're supportive yeah and now his unsupportive dad is dead And if this next Iceman volume doesn't even bring him up, they don't need to. It's, I think it, I think that killing the dad was probably the reason they did this. That's the thing. I'm going to be really cynical here and if they didn't want to have Iceman be angsty about being gay anymore, like, at all.
0: And that they wanted him to just sort of be able to be, like, a happy-go-lucky Wise cracking gay bachelor without the trauma talk
1: yeah that's my incredibly cynical like this is this is this this is on the same level as when i like was like in the karma episode i was speculating that the reason that karma randomly gets a new girlfriend in the middle of the hellfire gala issues and the pride special is because she was supposed to be getting matched up with um danny And someone in Disney's palace said, no, we're not going to let that character be gay, too, even though she was already gay in a movie. I think that they said, hang on, Iceman is like a sad gay? We don't want that.
0: We need a Pride special character here.
1: Like, yeah, because there's very few of these characters like... Where there is that tension. And that was the most interesting thing in that scene of Grace Run, was the relationship with the parents. And was, like, that tension-filled relationship with some difficult parents. And And it felt the most
0: real, too.
1: Yeah. And it's historically, like, even before he came out, Iceman has difficult parents is a defining factor of Iceman. Like, since the 80s. Since that J.M. DeMatteis series. Yeah. Rogue going to Iceman's parents and being like, oh, these people are terrible in the 90s is like a big beat. Yeah. So it just, it's taking away a thing that I'm like, but this is like a big part of Bobby as a character, even ignoring that he's gay, just as a mutant character, as a superhero, as like a thing that makes him stand out in this sea of orphans or people with supportive families in general. Like, you're either a Peter Parker where they're all dead, or you're a Miles Morales where they're all around and generally are okay with everything you do. Yeah. Which is not a slight on both of those char- either of those characters, but like the majority of superhero characters are one of the two, and Bobby was unique and now with his dad gone, his mom is probably not gonna show up that much, and she's also like not the main source of tension. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it just stops being an issue for the character going forward.
0: Yeah. It's like, because it's like it was always like, oh, the relationship of both parents is difficult, but they would have like one sort of try and calm the other down and like, you know, act as sort of like the bridge of, say, you could have, like, the mom be, like, still difficult, be, be like, a little less difficult than the dad in certain scenes, uh, things like that. Whereas now, I think you may be on to something. I would like it if you were not correct about this, but I fear you will be correct.
1: And again, I don't think this is anyone who is in the office. I don't even think it's, like, I think that this, if this is the case, again, I think this is... The people whose names we will never know who are at Disney right now looking at the IP and not the narrative. Because it doesn't feel to me like the best decision for Iceman as a unique character in this universe going forward. Yeah. Also, can I briefly mention the absolutely insane way that this is done? And that we have an issue that is mostly a silly kaiju fight with Romeo and Iceman. And then he runs over to the UN to do a speech about how he can't fix climate change actually. During which he gets a text about his dad dying. He runs over to be too late to his dad actually now being dead. And then by the end of the issue is in bed with Christian Frost.
0: Yeah, because it's like quick hypercut sc- of like panel of a nurse or a doctor saying how. His dad had refused to take the Krakoan medicine. And then there's like a guilt trippy mom moment of being like, your people seem to always be cheating deaf, but that's not for us, is it? Of the whole mutant human family thing. And then like shots of the funeral and everyone like saying all the nice things about his dad and Bobby just needing to get out of there, texting, hey, can I come over? And then the issue ends on, like, him and Christian naked in bed together. And it's a very quick scroll from the UN to that, which just, of all the things we fit in this issue, or in these issues, because, again, these are only four issues of a scrolly, so not even necessarily, like, four full issues worth of material that we shove all this stuff in. Why did we take the time to do the climate change scene? It feels really egregious. Like, it's not contributing anything. At best, it's neutral. At worst, you know, it can make the reader go, well, hey, come on now. Does this hold up or not? But, yeah, we have him fucking telling the un why he can't do shit and then boom dad's dead
1: it's because they just terraformed mars and i guess they were like because this is not long after the first hellfire gala i guess someone at marvel was like hang on hang on doesn't that mean that they'd be able to like fix climate change we need to explain why the mutants aren't doing that and my answer is it's a comic book universe we could just establish that they are doing that like, why the fuck not? is gonna be gone in, like, ten years, tops, anyway. It's not gonna be enough time for you to actually see any change inside the comic book universe.
0: Yeah. Or we could even just not talk about it more on the page than we need to, and just be like you said, this is a comic book.
1: X-Men Green should be Iceman's climate change fix-up team, not Nature Girl's weird murder group.
0: But yeah, yeah, just... That all happens very fast, which is part of the point of like, oh, the father's death is so fast and catches him off guard. But as I've already established, I hate this plot beat.
1: The suddenness of it happening isn't a thing I have a problem with necessarily. It's the suddenness of us moving away from the deathbed. I'm like, yes, him being dead before he arrived. Like, if you're doing the beat where he dies suddenly, okay. But then he's at that deathbed for a while. He's dealing with this for a while before he gets to get away from his mom and from the doctors and from the hospital. There'll be papers yet. Like, there's a lot of, like, beats and moments where you could actually dig into Bobby's feelings right there and then. But we gloss over it. Because the issue has to end on the Christian cliffhanger. So, like... Either cut the Romeo fight with the kaiju, which contributes nothing to the overall plot, or ex make the dad death the cliffhanger and then have the whole next issue lead up to Christian maybe, and then you have more time to like show the after of like moments post death. or yeah, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work on any level. Like it doesn't even work as like killing. I mean, we've already said we disagree with killing off this character, but I don't even think it works as a death on any level.
0: Yeah, like, it's not just that we disagree with the premise. The execution is also bad. Because, like, I don't think there's a single point in any of these issues where I truly feel like I'm reading it all that he's grieving. It's like we speed right past the deathbed The funeral has started and is over immediately. And there's no grieving at all. There's just like a bunch of really hollow feeling dialogue about just like, oh, how the dad was holding him back and called him a disappointment. And their relationship was so bad. And there's just none of the nuance that the Cena Grace run worked so hard to build in. And, like, it's ultimately as if his dad in this story is simply a supervillain who he can live happier without now that he's gone and there's no depth or warmth to the relationship at all, which just simply, historically, is not the case. It just feels so lazy.
1: That's why I I think that's why they got rid of him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Speaking of villains and speaking of this book, just having too much shit going on Loki. Yeah. What do you think <laughs> of all the villain stuff? Cause we get at the beginning, we get fucking purifier, the purifier who also commands Lava men. We then get the bipedal moth kaiju we then get the plot with Loki and the Frost Giants and all the magic shit. I guess my verdict is that, damn, all of the villain and action plots are terrible, but what do you think?
1: But, so they all suffer from being about half of one of these squirrely issues, which is just not enough time to do anything satisfying. Like, I think that... Frankly, you know what? I'm looking at this series now and I'm like, you know what this actually should just be? For the whole four issues, it should be a Iceman-Loki team-up. Scrap everything else. Because, at the like, it's Marvel's voices. Those are two characters who are queer. And they're both queer in different ways. And they do have a history together, which is referenced here. I'm like, if you're gonna pick any one of these to make the whole thing pick that one it is the least bad i think probably i don't think it would have been a good comic but it would have been a better comic because right now we just bounce between things purifier is terrible i don't know what that even is is he meant to be like related to the purifiers yeah but in what way
0: i don't what know is that?
1: they weren't magic the the ones that we saw in the last ice man solo were wearing hockey pads for god's sake and now he's like this magical suit guy with flame powers and Lava Man.
0: And the thing is that, like, at the end of that fight, he just disappears, and Bobby's just like, where'd he go? Implying that that villain will come back later because he's just disappeared. You know, it's very much the building of, like, villain got away, we'll see them later, and we don't. And I'm not upset that we don't because he sucks. But from a storytelling architecture point, it's like, well, that was weird.
1: Yeah. And just one note on Purify's design that drives me absolutely crazy. Um, he's using his logo is once again using the letter forms from the like Muller X display title font. That was yeah. at the time being used in all the logos for these books. And he's used all over Iceman's costume. And I'm a little bit like, okay, A, where did this weird mutant-hating guy, like, see this before now? Because Iceman is the first person who's lavered his costume in this. Like, it's mostly just existed as, like, a plaque in the middle of the quiet council chambers, and that's it. And second, why is he making him look... Like, why is this guy who hates mutants basing his logo on a mutant logo? (laughs)
0: Because it's basically literally just the X design tilted at an angle so that you're looking like at a cross for the sort of Christian religious thing. But it's just that X. It's just been tilted.
1: Yeah, and nothing's done with the religious angle of the character either. And I am a little bit like that feels like a missed opportunity.
0: Yeah, which I don't know. I guess getting back to our conspiratorial sort of what's going on with editorial or higher than editorial. I guess it wouldn't surprise me if modern Marvel was like too cowardly to want to do anything with that too explicitly of like religious homophobia. But overall it's very just like, it feels just editorial mandate of here's the fight. Or even if it was just the creator being like, I need to show Iceman Using his powers and stuff. Uh, uh, Who can he fight? Uh, He did the purifiers last time. I'll do that now, but I'll make it a pun on fire. And he'll just solve that immediately and the whole thing will have added nothing.
1: Yeah, this series really suffers from that, like, you must have a fight every issue thing. That when you're doing, like, normal comics that are coming out once a month, and you're having to spend five bucks to get the comic most of the time these days, like four for some of them, it's mostly five, I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe I do want you to draw a fight into every issue, just because I'm spending so much money for this action-like storyline. But these, I don't think, need that. And, like, these stories are much better when they're paced as though, okay, I've got, like, something that's slightly larger than a one-shot, tell my story in yeah over the course of like four or five of these and not when they're paced like i've got six standalone issues of a comic book series yeah or in this case maybe seven shoved into four for some ungodly reason
0: there's so much going on with regards to your idea about like streamlining it into an iceman loki team up i do think this needed to be streamlined like a somehow... different Loki story, yeah. Like a bunch to of be stuff. Clear, yeah, like, I'm not bun...
1: killing the dad, so it's not even this plot. I'm like, of all the plots, I think that one maybe has the most potential. It's just like four issues of one of these.
0: Sure, it's like the actual Loki scenes that we have are among my least favorite because they're the dad scenes that I find so egregious. But yeah, I guess like an alternate. Reality, just like if he's going to be fucking around fighting shit, you know, Loki is a character that you could do some sort of contrast with, you know, that's fine. Certainly, I'm ready to see him not fight purifiers for a good minute. I think we've run the course on those. And then the kaiju just is nothing. But then I want to talk about the ending a bit, because as a result of a fight where really the details don't fucking matter. It's against, like, an ex-Herald of Galactus, whatever the fuck, there's some cosmic bullshit. The point is that Bobby saves the world and saves the day by, like, using his powers to the fullest, like, making things so cold that he's freezing the progress of time, and essentially he, like, can't fully control it, So he isolates himself from everyone else and the ending basically comes down to a bunch of his friends that we've seen throughout the series showing up and basically trying to save him by giving him an emotional pep talk. And this way it's like the final conflict is just like Bobby has to face all of these difficult emotions he's been dealing with and yada yada. And, like, the final moment is Romeo with each ward in an individual ward bubble, so that it's slow and dramatic and drawn out. Romeo telling him, you are loved. And none of this shit works for me, because simply put, like, while the family stuff is there on the page, I do not think that a compelling or even frankly just baseline competently done story about Bobby's anxiety is delivered here because of everything being so fucking rushed and him running from point A to point B, this bitch never has the time to sit down and angst to begin with. So it might be an over-exaggeration to say that the whole oh, the final conflict is with himself thing comes out of nowhere. But it kind of feels like it comes out of fucking nowhere because there's no time to set it up. What it, did you think?
1: It's just so strange. So, like, the opening of it is apparently just an an event comic is just sort of happening here. <laughs> uh, With this nobody guy. It's one of those weird things where I'm just like, this isn't going to be mentioned by anybody else, but there's, like, so many different characters here now. What is, like... You know, and it it doesn't matter at all because it's just, like, to have an excuse to have Iceman lose control of his powers so he, he can go to the Antarctic feeling, like, anxious and sad. Yeah, And it just amounts to Romeo showing up. And, like, I'm like, listen, it is very, like, they sent in the emotional manipulator to do this. That at least makes sense. But I don't buy Bobby being this, like... In this state, it doesn't work. It doesn't feel earned, because the opening of this very issue is him, like, successfully superheroing.
0: Yeah, and it's like, it feels like it's just lazily relying on the character's history, and expecting the reader to be like, oh yeah, Bobby's been anxious before, so of course it makes sense that he's having a freak out, even though we do nothing to build it up in this actual story and
1: hanging the whole thing on Romeo I'm just like I do not know this man I do not know why he is here
0: and I don't want to know this man I don't want him to be here
1: you want to send in someone who can manipulate others emotions to go and have this talk with Bobby I'm like historically it should be Gene
0: yeah yeah definitely of the two of them
1: I'm like Gene has a power set that can do the same thing that he's doing here, whether it's like the mental connection or empathic connection or whatever with Bobby, and she and Bobby have a long history of knowing each other and having serious talks. She's the one bo- who not only like as a teen outs Bobby to himself. She's the one who, in the nineties, he nearly comes out too. Yeah, like they have a lot of history together, including over some of these issues. It's like her or Rogue. Because Rogue and his friendships in the 90s is really good and really strong and should have more done with it. And you could similarly have Rogue, like, half control her powers and touch him and do the empathic. Like, Romeo? Is this why we brought Romeo back?
0: Which, in terms of, like, his supporting cast in these comics, like, his teammates from the '05, 5 none of them appear. It's Not so Not just Jean, but none of them. And it's like all of his most historically linked characters or like teammates that he's been with the most, none of them show up. It's like exclusively the romantic leads and other gay X-Men characters, which, you know, I understand wanting to work them in and sort of build those relationships up. But it is kind of weird that all of the characters in this solo and the supporting cast, of all of them, not a single one is among the characters that he has the most historical ties to. It's just kind of odd. Warren's not here. Scott, Hank, Gene, Rogue, Kitty, none of them, which.
1: Kitty is lowest on that list for me in terms of the comics character, but like Kitty being here, I would get in part because she was a big part of that last Iceman solo but then just like literally any member of the 05 please except Beast
0: well here's here's the one that's weirdest for me of all the friends we chose to have we chose Firestar which like I get it we have nostalgia for that cute cartoon and we're sort of doing that thing where like we pretend that they've been friends in the comic like they were in the cartoon. We just sort of pretend like that shit all happened. But she's not a hellion. Yeah. Why is there a panel of Firestar saying he needs his amazing friends and amazing friends is in bold and it's Firestar and Northstar instead of Spider-Man. Why are you referencing the amazing friends if you're not doing the amazing friends?
1: It's so weird. I'm just like, listen, Spider-Man being here would make no sense, and Spider-Man would not be useful in this situation. But if you want to do an amazing friends reunion, I'm down for that. I'm okay with us pretending that that was a thing in the comics, as we have done before. But you have to actually do it. Or just, you know, don't worry about it and do stuff that's actually relevant to the comic book version of the character. Yeah, He's not- no one is close to Firestar.
0: No one likes her. Even Justice doesn't like her.
1: Literally, the people who are close to Firestar are, I guess, maybe some Avengers characters. And arguably, you could pretend that the Hellions are close to her. Some of them. Not Empath. Yeah. Like, now that the Hellions are alive again, you could have, like, them meet up with Firestar and know her. But she's so divorced from X-Men stuff since then, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah,
0: but essentially, the amazing friends, sans Spider-Man, show up. Romeo uses his emotional manipulation to calm Bobby down. And the series essentially ends with a bunch of unearned platitudes from Bobby about living fully as himself as we sort of get, like, narration boxes over changing scenes of, like, oh, this looks like a gay pride party. This is a happy-go-lucky pride character. We get him and Romeo agreeing to try things out and see where their relationship goes one date at a time. And we just sort of end on him on his ice slide smiling. and. A bunch of shit about, there's ups and downs, but I'm always moving forward. And it just doesn't work. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts we haven't hit on? Because I think for me, basically just damn near nothing works, except for Christian Frost.
1: I have one last thought, which is something that the comic nearly does that I would have liked if it actually did. So the comic, by having him have moved to San Francisco... Seems to be acknowledging that maybe he needs to get away from all the X-Men stuff where, like, he and the five other gay men are all just kind of, like, not good fits for each other, and aren't really enough to have, like, a visible queer community because most of the X-Men are still closeted by the company that they're, like, published by. Yeah. And that, like, honestly, any, like, queer community on Krakoa probably just looked like Krakoa anyway. So, like, him going to to L.A. and being in, like, that Pride Parade, then I'm like, okay, so that makes sense as, like, a beat for the character to try and be like, I need to become more comfortable with this side of me and go and, like, engage more in, like, a queer culture. But since none of the comic is actually about that, it's just, like, the implication that that is the reason he has done this move kind of ruins the whole point. Yeah, I'm like, if the comic was about that, but then all he hangs out with is Firestar and a bunch of X-Men and one inhuman. He doesn't meet new people. He doesn't engage in anything that he hasn't done before a million times.
0: In summary, he hangs out with the other gay guys, the obligatory mutant gay guys. He meets up with Romeo, he fights some, a purifier, he fights a kaiju... He tells the United Nations that he can't do anything. His dad (laughs) dies. He's not really sad about it. He does some shit with Loki. Punches an ice giant with his dad's face. Suddenly super angst like never before. Romeo saves him. The end. That's the plot of these comics. All of
1: that in so little time. And none of it's new for the character. Yeah. The implication of the opening in San Francisco is that, like, oh, he's in a new setting. He is away from the X-Men.
0: Except that he's with the X-Men characters all the time. But then he's... he, he Yeah. Like, he's always paired with someone. Like, there's never a moment, I guess, outside of the very beginning with the Purifier... The entire time he's teamed up, like, interacting with another character. So we never really get a, here's Bobby having his anxieties and what his thoughts are like when he's on his own. Because he just keeps going back to, like, old friend after old friend.
1: Yeah. The Purifier is awful, but that first half of that first issue is the best chunk of this. Solely because it does seem like maybe this is doing something different for Bobby. And then it isn't. Yeah. And that's really a shame because Iceman solos, I think, have a lot of potential. I'm not a big Iceman guy, but like I really love that Cena Grace stuff. Like I think he's a potentially really cool character when used well.
0: And he was not here. Nope. I think it's oh. safe to say. This is probably the worst X-Men comic we'll be discussing this summer.
1: Easily. Um, One last thing before we sign off. I do have to mention that his superhero outfit does come with a tramp stamp. And it is so fucking hilarious.
0: It didn't really strike me to the same degree. But yeah, one of the lines is just sort of a small little blue horizontal line on his lower back. like just sort of doing nothing
1: exactly where a tramp stamp would be. Like, it, it's, it's. I think, meant to be the other side of the belt implied by the fake buckle, but that's really hurt because there's these two little lines to the side of the buckle thing that don't look like they're part of the- like, the uh, angled wrong to be part of a belt. So there yeah. clearly isn't a belt. If it was just a belt it wouldn't be weird, but there's just a line on his back that doesn't line up or connect with anything, and it's right above his butt and it just looks like a tramp stamp. Yeah. This belongs back at the beginning of the episode, but, like, just, I saw it, and I'm just like, you know what, I can't, I can't let this go uncriticized.
0: But, yeah, that's, that's Marvel Voices Iceman. It is a contestant for the worst Iceman solo. The only real competition is Iceman Volume 2. Maybe we'll cover one day. Volume 1 from the 80s, and then all the Cena Grace stuff is obviously much better. But if you listened through this whole episode, I think you know this is an anti-recommendation. We do not recommend that you read this comic, but the plan is to read something better next week. So what are you having me read next week?
1: We're going to dive into the New mutant summer special, which to make that clearer, let me double check the year it came out because... I think there might be something else called basically the New Mutant Summer Special that isn't this. that is this is the one from 1990. In a first for this podcast, it's written by Anna Sensi, a long overdue coverage of an Anna Sensi comic. And uh, it's absolutely insane in the ways that Anna Sensi comics are frequently absolutely insane, which is good.
0: Yeah. I've never read this before, but should be fun to check out. Almost certainly will be better than what I made you read this week.
1: Oh, it is. It but, is. Yeah. It's, it's all over the place, but like, just it's wild.
0: Look forward to that. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening and bye.
1: Bye, everyone. Son to each other.